God bless you folks. Wonderful to be with you today. As you perhaps know, our wonderful pastor is away today and will be next Sunday as well. He's on a much needed break with his family. And uh, so you got me today. And next week gets even better. Our own wonderful Dr. Denny Autry will be bringing a very fine message from the Word of God. Uh, today I have the privilege of uh, doing so. I, I think like you, have benefited greatly from our pastor's series on the Beatitudes. It's been life-changing to me personally, and I so look forward to his next series as I know you do as well. I thought about the locale of the Beatitudes. It takes place along the Sea of Galilee at a place named after the Beatitudes called the Mount of Beatitudes. It was there 2,000 years ago that the Lord Jesus delivered his lengthiest sermon recorded for us in the New Testament. I have been to that place, perhaps you two have been there, and I can envision the setting again along the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's a hilly, hilly area. And the Lord would have been down at the base of the hill, sitting or standing. All those hundreds, thousands who came to hear from this magnificent Jesus, what he had to say, they would have been sitting on the slopes. There's a natural amphitheater effect there so that even without wonderful devices like this microphone, he would have been heard quite clearly. And as part of that sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the disciples, his closest confidants, asked him a very good, relevant question. They said to him, would you teach us how to pray? And the Lord said, yes, when you pray, pray this way. And I'll bet you know exactly what he said. These are perhaps some of the most popular well acquainted with words in all of scripture, he said, when you pray, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven. Six tiny little words, but power packed. If you think about them, and I'm going to help you to, you will see that they are actually revolutionary words for this reason. In these six words, they're found, by the way, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, the Lord Jesus is, in effect, inviting us, by faith, into the same relationship he has with God, his Father. Jesus, as you know, is God's only begotten and beloved Son. Do you remember the Father once saying of him, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. The father is well pleased with the son. The father loves him. And that son, that only begotten son, Jesus, in these words, is essentially inviting us into the same intimacy he shares with his father, the very creator of the world. In effect, the Lord Jesus is saying, we, the father and I, have been and always shall be in a very close relationship. God is my father, but now you, by faith, can think of him as being your father as well. Our father. Those two words really change everything. 
They say God is for sure the creator, but he desires to be more. He desires to be our father. Could I ask you a question during these challenging days? You and I have desires for normalcy, whatever that means, for stability and all the rest. But is your greatest desire to be God's son or daughter? His desire is for that to be true. I pray the distractions of the day don't do that very thing. Distract you from that which is to be the core of our being, children of a heavenly father. Many of us, maybe most of us, suffer from something to one extent or another I think we could refer to as father hunger. It's a kind of emptiness we're prone to feel from time to time, having grown perhaps with an absentee father, maybe a father who was there but emotionally not there for us, it produces something even later on in life which we can call father hunger. Many of us have it. But though that's the case, nobody need leave, live without Father God because Jesus said, you who come to God through me can have him in spite of your father hunger, you can have him as your heavenly father. He can be, here are those two magical words again, he can be our father. In Spain, on one occasion, there was a father and son who, for reasons I don't know, became estranged. The son ran away and the father spent time trying to find him. He searched for him to no avail for months. Finally, in a desperate effort to be reconciled to his son, he put an ad in a local Spanish newspaper and the ad read like this, dear son, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. On Saturday, 800 boys and men showed up, each looking for forgiveness and love from their father, from their fathers. A, uh, an example of pervasive father hunger. So folks, you may have issues with your earthly father that, to be frank, may not be fully resolved this side of heaven, but you, in spite of it, can have a relationship with a heavenly father who yearns to take you up into his arms, to forgive you, and to bestow his love upon you. Nobody has had a perfect father. Many of us, in fact, suffer from father hunger, but Jesus' father tells us, I can be the dad you never had. Our father. Please feast on those words. In those two words, the Lord, in effect, is saying to those who believe on him, who have accepted him, who have made their approach to the Father through the Son, you can live as if my Father is your Father. He can be our Father. Folks, that's actually revolutionary. You see, because the religion of the day, the prevailing religion of the day, and every religion since then, has a, a, a quantity of formality which in effect says, keep your distance. You cannot be on familiar 
terms with the unapproachably holy deity you call God. But Jesus says, not true. Jesus said, you can come near to God just as a child draws near to his or her father. Religious formality requires that various prerequisites be met before one can approach God. I remember when I was a young Jewish boy, uh, I was in Brooklyn, New York, visiting grandparents. I got bored with the adult conversation, so I went out in front of their apartment building. This is what we used to do in New York. I had a baseball glove and a little ball, a pink ball. We'd throw it against a stoop in front of their apartment building, and it would bounce if it bounced once before you got it. It's a single, two times it's a double. Anyway, that's what we did in New York. While I'm there, it was a Sabbath day. It was Saturday. There was a synagogue right next to my grandparents' apartment building. The rabbi of the synagogue came out. I thought he was going to rebuke me for playing this kind of pseudo-baseball on the Sabbath. It wasn't that. He said, Yunga, which means youngster, how old are you? Have you had a bar mitzvah? As it turns out, I just did a month or two before this episode. A bar mitzvah means son of the law. It's kind of a rite of passage during which we are considered to be ceremonially like adults. Our parents no longer are accountable for us before God. We have to give account for ourselves. And so I said, yes, Rabbi, I've had a bar mitzvah. He said, okay, we need you to come into the synagogue, said he to join us so as to make a minion. A minion is a Hebrew word for quorum. Somewhere it is written that you cannot have a public worship service until you have a quorum consisting of 10 men, men, males, over the age of 13. They only had nine, apparently. I would make the 10th, and therefore they didn't feel the freedom to approach God until this snotty-nosed little kid smudges on his face, baseball glove, and little... Pink ball came into the synagogue to add to the number nine to make it an official quorum. I thought how sad religion is, even though it has certain beautiful and attractive aspects. I thought how fortunate I am now not to have to have a quorum to speak to almighty God, my father. In fact, I had a conversation with him this morning on my way here to church. And there was no fanfare or or dramatics at all. It was just me in my car. No fancy clerical garb. No nothing. It was just me talking to my father because I could, as a result of access to him given to me by Jesus the Son. I hope you have that kind of familiar relation, respectful but familiar relationship with the otherwise transcendent deity. When Jesus uttered these words, when he said, pray this way, our father, he told those of us who have accepted him that when we approach almighty God, when we seek to connect with the creator of the world, we can do so as if we are sons and daughters. He in essence said, come to God, not as if he is a tyrant or a a stranger to you. No, no. Come to God just as if he is your father. I want to show you something. Take a look at uh, these people. Uh, These people, I don't know who they are, but they're in the midst of something important. That's for sure. Some kind of serious meeting has called them together. 
Imagine them having children and suddenly unannounced their children charged through the doors, interrupted this very important formal meeting, climbed up on the laps of their respective parents. I think those kids would probably be the only ones in the entire world who would sort of have the unwritten permission to do that, to erase all formality, to remove any uh, obstacles in the way, and to have this bold and confident access to their parents, even in the midst of a formal business meeting. In fact, normal parents not only would not be put off by this, they'd probably smile and take delight. Folks, that's exactly how those of us who have come to our heavenly father through Jesus the son can approach him. We can charge into the throne room of grace just as we are, warts and all, and figuratively speaking, we can crawl up on the lap of almighty God because he is our father. In the day in which Jesus spoke, it was the Jewish religious custom to address God in light of his sovereignty and his uh, holiness and his uh, bigness. And he most certainly is all of those things. But then comes along rather radical Rabbi Jesus and declares that we could address God not only in light of his bigness, but in light of his Daddiness, folks, that's revolutionary. Do you find that whole concept difficult? Do you find it difficult to think of God this way? Perhaps these words of the Apostle Paul could help. They're found in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Listen, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. No, you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Paul is speaking to Christians here, believers. And he tells them at one time the relationship with God was like that really of slave to master. But all that changed when by faith we embraced and were embraced by God's only begotten son, the Lord Jesus At that point, we received a new spirit, this one not characterized by slavery, no, leading to fear again, no, 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 this is a spirit of adoption. In Roman law, in these days, when this text was written, the old life of the adopted child was completely changed upon his or her adoption. For instance, all debts connected with that adopted child were erased and became the responsibility of the adoptive parents who settled all debts that the child somehow had incurred. The child who was adopted, in fact, was regarded as a new person entering into an entirely new life, given an entirely fresh start with absolutely nothing in his or her past any longer counting against him. Do you realize, folks, that is exactly what has happened to us who believe in the Lord Jesus? We've been adopted by God our Father, and he has canceled out all debts due him that we have incurred through our sin. Now we can approach him, you see, without fear. In fact, Paul says that the result of our adoption is that we can cry out to him, Abba, Father. 
I love that word Abba. It means something like dear father, even daddy or papa. Are you a Christian? If so, you can cry out to your new father, to Abba, as daddy, as papa, as dear father. Now, I want to tell you something. I know this to be true because I'm from a Jewish background. Jewish people in the Lord's day, Jewish people today do not refer to God as Abba. In fact, that would be considered to really overstep one's ground. Jewish kids, you can hear them in Israel today and in other places where there's a Jewish community. You might hear them call out in a crowd, Abba, Abba. Well, they have in reference there their, their earthly dad, their father. But no Jewish person would feel the permission to call out to Almighty God as Abba, Father. And yet, the very Jewish Jesus did that very thing. And that very Jesus gives us permission. You see it in Romans eight fifteen to refer to God in the same way as he did, Abba, Father. Do you find it difficult to think of God this way as your daddy, as your papa? Can I play counselor just for a little bit and diagnose your situation? If you find it difficult to think of God as your father, it probably is due to the fact that you have had some kind of unhappy relationship with your earthly father. So if your earthly father was distant, you will be prone to think your heavenly father is distant. If your earthly father was demanding, you might be prone to think your heavenly father is demanding. If your earthly father at some point deserted you, you may be prone to think your heavenly father will desert you as well. We uh, conform, sadly, uh, into the image of our earthly father, the image of our heavenly father, and it's different. They're categorically different. You and I have to work on this. In uh, all of my years uh, as a minister, I've been visited by a number of people who over the years doubt their salvation. And um, it's a very interesting thing. I think they're not having a theological struggle in most cases. I actually think it's emotional. By the way, uh, the other day I was in the presence of a dear lady and our pastor, Pastor Matt, was there. She was struggling in this area. And Pastor Matt said something very proud to her, very profound to her. He said, the mere fact that you're struggling with the issue of the assurance of salvation is evidence that you're truly saved because there's been no unsaved person in the history of the universe for whom that's a matter of concern. The fact that it is a matter of concern is actually evidence of salvation. So in my experience, uh, those people struggling with it in most cases, have had unmet emotional needs with their earthly father. If their earthly father has been demanding and distant and quite critical, uh, then they will attribute those characteristics to heavenly father, and that will cause them to question their status with him. So can you see the experience we've had with earthly father really, really can affect our attitude with God? You know what discipleship is? It's being reparented by the perfect dad you never had. If you have a bad feeling about your earthly father, it's going to be a bit of a challenge for you to be comfortable in your approach to your heavenly dad. And I would just say, patiently work on it. You are being reparented. 
If you are a Christian, this is exactly what you are permitted and authorized to do. You are permitted to crawl up on his lap in spite of what you've done and not done because he is the perfect dad you never had. And he loves being a dad. He's pretty good at it. He's been parenting kids for thousands of years. He has never exploited, abused, nor deserted any. He will never leave you Uh, forget you, yearns to forgive you. He'll never abuse or exploit or take advantage of you. In fact, it is his desire when once you have come to him through Jesus, his son, it is his desire to make you and me a son or daughter who begins to look more and more like him. And that means he's not ashamed to be in association with us at all. In fact, He wants people to see the connection between you and him. He wants people to say, you know, you are beginning to look more and more like your father. Now, there's a bit of a problem with all this. It's this. Jesus said, our father who art in heaven. Ah, so that's a problem. Because God is in heaven and we're not. We are here at this point. So how then do we access this God? How do we get to him? How can we connect with him? How do we find him? How can we be in touch? People better than us have tried. Real smart people uh, through philosophy have tried to access this transcendent deity and have failed. Religious people have tried They all have failed, however, because neither human smarts nor human efforts can get us to God. Why? Because the scripture says all of us have sinned and fall way, way short of being able to access God who sits in the heavenlies in all of his glory. What then is the way to the Father? Jesus said, you know this, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through me. You see, the creator is so intent on becoming our Father that he made the way possible for it to happen, and Jesus is the way. And so God is, though he is the creator of all, he is not the Father of all. Though everyone has God as creator, not everyone has him as Father. You know what's a hurtful thing? A study was done not too many years ago of 50 famous atheists. They were different and diverse in many ways. They had a few things in common. One is they did not believe in the existence of deity. They were atheists, no God. They had that in common. And one other thing, all 50 hated their dads. Isn't it interesting? that that very, very hateful, contemptuous relationship with their dads maybe, maybe affected their philosophy and their theology and their thinking about the heavenly father who's entirely different from even the best of earthly dads. Jesus said, I am the way by which a bridge can be established so that you can get past all emotional and other deficits you may have experienced with abusive, neglectful, or deserting earthly fathers, and you can come right into the embrace of a heavenly father. My heavenly father, you can refer to him as our father. In fact, it says in John chapter 1, verse 12, to those who believed 
in Jesus' name, he gave the right, the privilege, the power to become children of God. You can become more than God's creature. You can be God's child, and God can be more than your creator. He can be your father. Our father who art in heaven. From that vantage point, our dad, we can say, is simply out of this world. We can really, really boast about our father. He's the best. Our father is literally someone we could look up to. And from his vantage point in heaven, our father always keeps his watchful eye upon us. He cares about how we live. Therefore, why go through life without a father like that? Why go through life alone? Why not do life together with the heavenly father who is willing to forgive you, willing to embrace you, adopt you, and bestow his love upon you? Why not go through life with a heavenly dad who wants to cheer for you through the race of life? Some time ago, I read this poem by a man named D.H. Groberg. It's one of my favorites. It's called The Race. It's so good. I want to repeat it again. And as I do, would you put yourself into the story? Imagine yourself to be the little boy running, running the race to win, but stumbling in the process. And imagine almighty God, your heavenly father, being the dad on the sidelines, not criticizing, but cheering you on in the race of life. Put yourself in the mix. Listen to this poem, The Race by D.H. Groberg. A children's race, young boys, young men, how I remember it well, excitement, sure, but also fear. It wasn't hard to tell. They all lined up so full of hope, each thought to win that race or tie for first or, or if not that, at least to take second place. And fathers watched from off the side, each cheering for his son and each boy hoped to show his dad that he would be the one. The whistle blew and off they went, young hearts and hopes of fire. To win and be the hero there was each young boy's desire. And one boy in particular whose dad was in the crowd was running near the lead and thought, oh, my dad will be so proud. But as they speeded down the field and across a shallow dip, the little boy who thought to win lost his step and slipped. Trying hard to catch himself, his hands flew out to brace. Amid the laughter of the crowd, he fell flat on his face. So down he fell, and with him hope, he couldn't win it now. Embarrassed, sad, he only wished to disappear somehow. But as he fell, his dad stood up and showed his anxious face, which to the boy so clearly said, ah, get up and win the race. He quickly rose, no damage done, behind a bit, that's all, and ran with all his mind and might to make up for his fall. So anxious to restore himself, to catch up and to win, his mind went faster than his legs. He slipped and fell again. He wished then he had quit before with only one disgrace. I'm hopeless as a runner now. I shouldn't even try to race. But in the laughing crowd, he searched and found his father's face, that steady look which said again, ah, get up and win the race. So he jumped to try again, 10 yards behind the last. If I'm going to gain those yards, he thought, I've, I've got to run very fast. Exerting everything he had, he gained eight or 10, but trying so hard to catch the lead, he slipped and fell again. Defeat. 
He lay there silently. A tear dropped from his eyes. There's no sense in running anymore. Three strikes. I'm out. Why even try? The will to rise had disappeared. All hope had fled away. So far behind, so error prone. A loser all the way. I've lost, so what's the use, he thought. I live with my disgrace. But then he thought about his dad, who soon he'd have to face. Get up, an echo sounded low. Get up and take your place. You were not meant for failure here. Get up and win the race. With borrowed will, get up, it said. You haven't lost at all. For winning is no more than this, that you rise each time you fall. So up he rose once more, and with a new commit, he resolved that win or lose, at least he wouldn't quit. So far behind the others now, the most he'd ever been, still he gave it all he had and ran as though to win. Three times he'd fallen, stumbling. Three times he rose again, too far behind to hope to win. He still ran to the end. They cheered the winning runner as he crossed the line first place, head high and proud and happy, no falling, no disgrace. But when the fallen youngster crossed the line last place, the crowd gave him the bigger cheer for finishing the race. And even though he came in last and head bowed low, unproud, you would have thought he'd won to listen to that crowd. And to his dad, he sadly said, I, I didn't do so well. To me, you won, his father said. You rose each time you fell. And now when things seem dark and hard and difficult to face, the memory of that little boy helps me in my race, for much of life is like that race with ups and downs and all. But what you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. Quit, give up, you're beaten. They still shout in my face, but another voice speaks louder still. Get up and win the race. Don't fear God. The perfect love of the Father is meant to cast it out. You have a cheerleading Father who on the sidelines, in spite of your stumbles, even into sin, is saying, sin is not the issue. My grace is greater than your sin. Confess it. Turn from it. Get up and win the race. You can do it. I'm cheering you on. Could I invite you, as the Heavenly Father perhaps is stirring you up, Think about a response to what we've been talking about. When Jesus came to suffer and die on the cross, he came to save us from our sins, and surely that would be enough, but even much more, he came to separate us from the spooky, scary, desperate separation we have with our creator God. He came as God's only begotten son to so bridge the gap that now we can refer to the otherwise unapproachably holy God as our Father, along with the Lord Jesus. I hope, if you've not responded this way, you would accept Jesus, uh, God's only begotten Son, as your personal Savior, because you have a personal sin problem that only he could deal with. I wish you would say, come into my life, Lord Jesus, forgive me, and usher me into the kind of relationship with the Father that you've had from eternity past and will have forever. You know what the father is doing? I think he's evaluating us on the basis of how we've responded to his son. You would do the same. Would you?
feel good about someone who rejected, abused, and ignored your son? No, nor does the heavenly father. He's willing to accept you in spite of you if you accept his son. I pray if you haven't responded that way, that would be your response today. But what if you've made that response? You're a believer. You've been adopted into your family, but you're not enjoying the ride very much at all. You've run the race. You've fallen. You've stumbled into sin, and you think you're on the outs with your father. Could I tell you? Not true. Please don't conform him into the image of anyone else. He's different. Though you be unfaithful, you are. He remains faithful. He says, I'll never let you go. I'll never leave you or forsake you. No, no, no. He says, get up and win the race. So maybe that's your response to the father today. Maybe you need to say, oh God, thank you for forgiving my sin. Help me not to make you look like others. You're different. Your grace surpasses surpasses all my sin. I'm going to charge into the throne room of grace and as your son or daughter find grace to help in time of need. We're going to take the next few moments to worship this great Heavenly Father, just a bit more. And during that time, you have an opportunity to respond. You see on your screen a way to do it. Even during these unusual days, you can respond. Yeah, electronically. We invite you to do so. We will respond back to you. So during the next few moments as we continue to worship, would you please listen to your heart? What is God, the Heavenly Father, saying to you? What is he stirring you up to do? Please respond to the Father in light of what he's encouraging you to do. Now let's continue our worship. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for coming, for being the bridge only you could be. You're the son of God on the divine side, son of man on the human side. Therefore, you can join us to your heavenly Father. And what a blessing it is not just to be forgiven of sin, but to be adopted into your family, forever family, and to have the same relationship with the Father that you do. Thank you, O God. Even in this unusual day of much hardship, thank you for the intense, inexpressible joy of knowing you as Abba, Father. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.